Support for the Game Podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies, and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the Game Podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 121 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian, the ensnaring bridge Gottlieb. That sounds like a wrestling move, dude. Uh, That would be a good wrestling move. I like that a lot. And I also think this may be the first time a non-creature has been my name. I'm not 100% sure. Someone's going to have to go back and listen to all whatever 70 plus episodes that I have had a name and and confirm that. But I, I think so. And it became very clear that I needed to sing this, the praises of Ensnaring Bridge after hearing so much rage and vitriol over the lack of bands in the modern format this week. I can't believe how upset people got over the fact that modern stayed as is, despite the fact that people seem to still love modern. There's no, there's no outrage in progress. There's no people flocking away from the format. In fact, excitement's at an all-time high with the announcement of Modern Horizons. And for whatever reason, people thought, Watsy was going to step in and like kind of obliterate the format from the ground up this week. I I don't know what people were expecting here. And it's just like, look towards answers. Don't look towards bands. That's what magic is about is letting the metagame rotate and move. And ensnaring bridge feels like the next answer to all these problematic faithless looting decks, not graveyard hate. I seriously wonder just how, how people even justify their thought processes on a lot of things where it's like, oh man, they just banned my favorite deck. This sucks. Like they ban things too much. And then when they don't ban stuff, people are just like, oh, what the hell? Like I was definitely expecting this card to get banned or whatever. It's like, what? what? <laughs> how How is that your reaction? Like it, it, it just goes to show that like people will basically never be happy. Yeah, that's part of it. And I also think people are generally, it, it's hard for people to put themselves in someone else's shoes and understand their relationship with the format and for people like you and i if they were to ban say faithless looting i think that's the card that everyone was up in arms about this time if they were to do that we would have our full collections and we would move on to another deck but people who had invested a bunch of money in dredge and arclight phoenix decks and even some other fringe faithless looting decks a mardu pyromancer is another example of a deck you could have bought into those investments would be wiped out And one of the reasons people love modern is the fact that their investments feel solid and bans don't happen on a regular basis. And you can buy into a deck and have it for years and years and kind of like blowing up faithless looting eradicates a lot of that. And then you blow up faithless looting and ancient stirrings and Mox Opal are sitting right there equally busted. It's like, look, this is what the format is. I don't know why people thought this was the right time to make a change, especially with Modern Horizons about to hit in just a few months. And you know, Modern Horizons was certainly tested with Faithless Looting present. So there's going to be something there. Like it's at least accounted for in calculations when design was being done. So this was just not the right time for a ban. And I'm really shocked that people got all up in arms this time. 
Well, let's start here, shall we? What would it take for you to say that it is necessary for you to ban something? You know, say that you are the DCI or Wizards or, you know, Play Design, whoever is in charge, actually. Yeah. So I think there's two factors when it comes to modern. And I actually think the main one is operations and efficiency. And that's why the ban of KCI made sense to me because it had some time problems. Again, Second Sunrise is another one that like, yes, this makes sense. This is not what you want the experience to be. It's generally miserable and not in the way that like is acceptable for modern. Just the whole 15 minute turn thing, it generally is not a good look. And I yeah. like those bands. And also those decks were very, very fringe and there wasn't a bunch of overlap. And if you bought into that deck, you did so like kind of knowing what was up, right? Like I don't know a bunch of people who were buying KCI staples and were like, this is safe forever. So I, I like that method of bands. And then the other one is when things are just completely out of whack. Something is so far gone and so far head and shoulders above everything else in the field that you can't successfully play anything else into it. It just has no counterplay. It's not interesting gameplay. Something like Splinter Twin, you know, I think is a really good example of one, both being difficult to counterplay and warping the entire meta around it and also just being better than everything else. And you need to have like a year worth of dominant results where you're just like, yes, this deck is head and shoulders better than everything else. Despite what we try, nothing beats it and it's got to go. And with something like Phoenix or Dredge, like Dredge ebbs and flows out of the format 100%. There's tons and tons of targeted hate cards, as well as just strategic adjustments you can make. And then Phoenix is a brand new deck. Talking about getting this out of the format just does not make any sense to me. Also, it's just a fair deck. Yeah, this is kind of like the Delver deck that Modern has been waiting for for ages and ages. So when when I did well with Mardu and kind of got that on the map, like that deck was very good for about a month or whatever. And no one was like, oh, ban this. You know, I, I, I don't really remember seeing any cries to get rid of looting at that point. I think now the narrative has kind of spun where you're either playing looting or stirrings or you're wrong basically because of Twitter and just like a lot of people talking about it. And Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, they they just got rid of KCI. So like stirrings is a lot worse. So now, you know, looting is king. And it's true that the two most popular, most successful decks like Dredge and Arclight Phoenix are faithless looting decks. But still, I mean, modern is slow to move both because there aren't a lot of like super high level events, like the Pro Tour will absolutely move the metagame. It always does. And then a lot of people who play modern own one or two decks, right? So mm-hmm. it, it just takes time for the metagame to move. Yeah. And I, I think people forget that sometimes. And that's why I wanted to call out a card like Ensnaring Bridge. It's like there's one Ensnaring Bridge deck starting to come to fruition right now. There's the War Prison deck. And I think that deck is very promising. Ensnaring Bridge is incredibly impactful against both Arclight Phoenix and Dredge. But beyond that, it's like, this is a card that could start slotting into other decks, right? You think about, it's tough in things like your particular version of The Rock. But I do think you can build Liliana the Veil control decks and like have Ensnaring Bridge as your KO punch. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And then there's just like other weird artifact strategies and Burn can pick up Ensnaring Bridge. And there's all kinds of new avenues to explore that just haven't been explored yet. If these truly are the best decks, we need to have time to take a shot at them. 
and we haven't taken a shot at them yet. Now, and if you're talking just fundamentally broken cards, yes, faithless looting would fall under that category, but there's a bunch of those in modern. And if you get rid of one, the other one just steps up and now it's too late to ban them all. It's like you could have started the format that way. Maybe not. Maybe these cards didn't even exist when modern started, but you can make arguments that if they hadn't become part of the fabric of modern, then it would be cool to get rid of these. I see them as three pillars. I think some people would argue for other cards also to be included in that, but I say Mox Opal, Ancient Stirrings, and Faithless Looting. If you just cut all three of those cards out, you wipe out basically every deck and start from the ground up, and that's not what people want. Stirrings and Opal kind of go together, which is why I would just separate them by the cantrips. And I think talking about things through the lens of what is there to do on turn one and, you know, why is this good? How, how does this deck operate? Stuff like that. I, th- I think that is valuable. And looting and stirrings give modern a reason to play decks that are non-blue. Whereas before when all the decks, like when modern first started, right? And there was like ponder, preordain, all these good blue cantrips. Like people were just basically looking to build the best blue deck. And mm. legacy has a lot of the same problems. So does vintage. Where vintage is like, well, you're playing force of will or you're playing workshop or bazaar and then you know sometimes you're playing some like crappy fish deck or whatever but yeah for for the most part these non-rotating formats like blue ends up just being the strongest color for a lot of different reasons and you need reasons to actually play other things and you know before it was like tarmogoyf or whatever but modern is kind of past tarmogoyf by at this point yeah i mean what do you think of addressing I don't even want to call it a problem. What do you think about trying to prop up other strategies through unbans? Is there anything you want to explore as far as that goes? Because look, if you want to make changes to modern, those are the ones I like. I like not invalidating cards people have purchased and trying new things. And while I've often said, I I don't think Stoneforge Mystic makes the format better. I think it's probably safe. I don't think it makes the format better, but there's other cards you can consider. Like if this is a real problem, you could talk Green Sun Zenith, which is a super scary card, but you could also do like Dryad Arbor ban, unban Green Sun Zenith, and then maybe it's a right. little bit more fair. Uh, have you ever considered things like that to make modern? Again, you have to see that there's a problem with modern, which I'm not even sure I'm willing to do because people love modern. But if you do see things that way, what do you think about some unbannings possibly? So I don't think that modern has problems. There are a bunch of different viable decks that operate on different axes and provide like a variable amount of game experiences. Like if you, if you show up to a modern tournament, you're probably going to play against like, you know, five different macro archetypes, which mm-hmm. is, is just going to lead to you having like a different fun experience than just playing against like salt or mono blue or whatever. Right. So I, in that regard, I think that modern's in a good spot. I don't think that any deck is commanding like too much of the metagame share or anything. However, some of these strategies that I would like to see more of are just green and white creature decks. So things like Stoneforge Mystic and Green Sun Zenith, I think like those archetypes could actually just use a boost and maybe, you know, you run the risk of like, Oh, it's, it's not broke. Don't fix it or whatever, because there, there are some potentially dangerous things that could happen with Stoneforge Mystic. Maybe like you just end up with like some combo control deck, right? Like now you have Mm -hmm. Stoneforge and Jace again, like how good is that deck? Right. But for Green Sun Zenith, I just I don't think it's that scary. I, I do think that there is some merit to banning Arbor and unbanning 
uh, Green Sun Zenith, but I would I would just let it go. I would just be like, look, if you want to play Zenith into Arbor instead of Noble Hierarch, like that that's cool. That's fine with me. Yeah, I think I'm okay with giving it a shot too at this point. That would be the change that I would have on the docket right now if you concede that you want to shake things up. But again, I think a lot of that requires ignoring the fact that a lot of people love the modern experience as it is. And if that's not you, that's fine. You're totally welcome to have that opinion. If you don't like modern, I respect that. And honestly, I've fallen in that camp for a lot of modern's history. I haven't always been a huge supporter of modern. But at the same time, you have to recognize that it continues to be extremely popular. And that means something. And you have to respect people's desire to play the format as is. And until that changes, until you see people flocking away from modern because they're sick of it, I I just wouldn't really worry too much about these quote unquote broken cards. Because even if they are broken, that's the modern people I've fallen in love with. So... For the people who look at Faithless Looting and are like, I want to, I want this card to be banned, or for when the announcement came out and you were genuinely disappointed or upset or whatever that looting was not banned, I think you need to ask yourself why that is the case. And I think mm. a, a lot of the reasons that people would say are just like, oh, it's in the best two decks or it's a broken card. And it's like, yeah, but what happens to the format if it's actually gone? And I, I think it does make the format worse because then you don't have a lot of incentives to play with like these hard graveyard or even like soft graveyard strategies like the Is It Phoenix deck. Like you you just don't have an enabler for that like looting is. And yes, looting is above rate, you know, compared to most of the cards in the format. But like, is that even a bad thing? And is that promoting like unhealthy gameplay? I don't really think so. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think you're spot on. And I know people are going to respond to this with vitriol too for whatever reason people get really impassioned about this topic and i i don't quite get it part of it is just like that's the way discourse works presently right is you have to have like drastic takes or you just kind of fade into the ether if you have a measured take (laughs) then no one listens to you anyway so yeah uh, i'm sure there's a lot of people who are just out there and just like not even weighing in on the topic and just like okay i'll play modern however you present it to me and those people get lost in the shuffle somewhat but uh yeah I think that the, especially with Modern Horizons, I'm all for just waiting right now and, and seeing what happens. And we're going to get to see some Modern this weekend when we head down to the Hunter Burton Memorial. I'm looking forward to that 100%. Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know. I, I get in on Wednesday. I'm in uh, Europe right now, so I'll probably be spending a day just trying to fix my jet lag, but I am a very weak-willed person. So <laughs> I'm sure that I'll take like a, a 6 p.m. nap that'll turn into a sleep and then I'll wake up at 2 a.m. and, you know, everything will be horrible. But uh, on Friday, I don't know, I kind of want to like go down to Madness or go to the event site if they're actually like having stuff going on there and stuff. So I'll be out and about all weekend. But other than that, I think we're we're just doing commentary like, round on round off type of deal mm-hmm. but we'll be we'll be on the floor we'll be hanging out we'll be watching some matches we'll be commentating on some matches so definitely if you are in the texas area you should come to this tournament it is going to be awesome yeah i was uh on twitter and i wanted to see who is attending so i put a post out telling people let me know if you're coming lots of responses a ton of people are going to be there definitely you know don't hesitate to come up and chat 
If you want to tell me why I'm wrong about the modern ban list, sure, come up and tell me that. Just don't yell at me, please. I don't know why people always want to yell when it comes to the topic. But uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun to see everyone down there. And I'm looking forward to uh, contributing to what's definitely a great cause. Yeah, absolutely. This this tournament's going to be great. It always is. On on the topic, I guess, of people still liking to play modern, I heard a lot of stories about like SCG regionals selling out in a lot of locations. Yeah, that's that's the word on the street. You couldn't even get into these tournaments. People wanted to play modern so badly. And look, I think SCG regionals is a fantastic tournament. It's great. These kind of mid-level opportunities have faded over the years. We talked, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, about tournaments like states and like regionals and how important they were as part of like the fabric of magic when I was coming up in the competitive scene. And they've definitely fallen by the wayside. And it's great that something like this is filling the void. But at the same time, it's not like these are the highest stake tournaments. They're not Pro Tour qualifiers. They're not like the pinnacle of tournament experience. And yet they're selling out. You can't even get seats at these tournaments. That's how badly people wanted to play modern this past weekend. Yeah, and I think it's tough too, because there's there's certainly a void where like the the kind of like mid-level grinder seems to be getting sort of left behind where you know mm. what is what is the next PTQ system? Like when is that stuff happening? Like who who knows? I think people just want more opportunities to play slightly higher level of magic than just playing at your LGS, you know? So I am very glad that these tournaments exist. I'm I, I was super stoked just like being in our Discord and you know, seeing how many people were like hyped for regionals and like taking it very seriously in testing and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's good. It feels like an era gone by. It's like what used to happen around states every year. And like states, it was a huge point of data as well. You'd get all these deck lists coming out of states from all over the place and be able to find, you know, cool technology from across the country from people who don't necessarily have a platform, right? Like not everyone gets to share their deck list the way you and I do on Star City or via their podcast. And it's a chance right. for people to kind of put their strategy on the map. Yeah. And just looking over these results, it's like it you can't you can't tell me that modern is a, is in a bad place after looking at these results. It's just like there's a bunch of different decks in every single top eight. And one of the constants certainly is, uh, I think there's two copies of Is It Phoenix at least in every top eight, except for two of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm looking at like 11 tournaments right now, so it's not the biggest sample size, but like Is It Phoenix did do particularly well, even if it didn't win every single tournament. Yeah, for sure. It's a good deck. I don't think anyone's disputing that. And it's the most played deck right now, which also helps its representation. But something's got to wear the crown. And I don't think Is It Phoenix is the most offensive deck to have ever worn the crown in the history of modern. That's for sure. Oh my God. It It's it's like if Jun were the best deck, you know? Right, right. So be it. Yeah, I, I think this deck is going to get worse over time. I mean, we are just in that spot where it's like, yes, obviously Is It Phoenix is going to be like the most popular and Dredge is probably like the boogeyman, right? And people need time to adapt to those sort of things. But Dredge will not stay on top forever. And Is It Phoenix is also just like a somewhat flimsy style deck where it's like they don't have answers to everything. They don't have like a a great clock. They're weak to burn. They're weak to combo. They're they're weak to dredge also. And things like in Staring Bridge that you noted where just like a lot of these lists don't even have any ways to remove an artifact. You know, they they literally can't kill you through an in Staring Bridge. It's just it's just kind of a joke. 
Yeah, in game one, certainly they have an almost impossible time. Game two, you see, you're seeing a lot of Shadowstorm now, but it's like things like Were Prison could just go get Swan Song, right? And make it a one card game. And all they have to do is protect their bridge, and that's how they win. And obviously, if you're using non Shadowstorm removal, there's a bunch of welding jars all over the place in a deck like Were Prison. And something like, if we're talking Liliana strategies, your hand's going to be torn apart before they ever deploy the ensnaring bridge. So there's ways around all this interaction. And if as you look through these results as a whole, I think it's hard to extrapolate any kind of like hard data from this and say, oh, this deck's, you know, the new heir to the throne. Like you can't say win percentages or anything like that. All you're really looking at is some trends and patterns. And one of the patterns I'm seeing, there's two decks in particular that are decks that I think, as you described, Arc Light Phoenix has a miserable time interacting with. And they pop up, not in force, but sporadically throughout these 11 tournaments that we're looking through that we have results from from regionals. The first is Mono White Martyr. It's just there. And it's kind of like an almost forgotten deck a lot of the times. I see it has a win. There's a bunch of other little appearances. And I mean, it's a lot to ask for the, is it Phoenix deck? to win through incredible amounts of life gain to say nothing of just a big Sarah Ascendant, right? A 6-6 six, six flying lifelinker. Like that's not a card they can realistically beat ever. So that's one area of interaction I don't think Arc Lake Phoenix is particularly well set up to deal with. And another deck that certainly brings me great joy to see is Ad Nauseam. Again, don't think Is It Phoenix has the tools to really interact with things like Angel's Grace and Phyrexian on Life. And you're starting to see more and more ad nauseum in the format right now, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I mean, two two dispels in your sideboard and like a spell pierce. You think that's gonna be like pact of negation combo deck? Like your your clock is not fast enough and ad nauseum's just like very, very cool, very calculated. Uh, casual like turn four kill you know where they just have like a pact or two as as backup it's like you're you're done adnos has two great matchups in general the first is just like raw aggression right because you have phyrexian on life to gain 10 life and then you combo off on turn four or five and they don't really interact with you in any way so the time i had a lot of success with adnosium was during when zoo was very popular the other really favorable matchup for adnosium is against a do nothing control deck because you just set up this like kind of inevitability where you'll have it all. You'll have enough counters. You can go off at instant speed. They can never, ever tap their mana. And you just will put these Phoenix decks in a position where they can't advance their game plan. And eventually you're going to have it. And that bodes very well for Ad Nauseam. Yeah, I definitely agree. And we, we've been saying that that deck is primed to make a comeback for a while now. And I, I think it's mostly just because the, the top of the format has not really changed all that much. Mm-hmm. And and Ad Nauseam is just a, a weird deck. There's there's no real card overlap with any other strategy in modern. Like if you own Ad Nauseam, like you you are one of the few. You are one of the Andrew Browns of the world who only want to play Ad Nauseam, you know? Right. And there's a lot of people like that, don't get me wrong. There's devotees of this strategy. But that being said, the strategy has remained very static for a bunch of years now. You don't really see a lot of change in Ad Nauseam decks. They mostly look the same. That's fine. I think it has a very established core, but you're right that none of these pieces fit anywhere else. If you bought into this deck, congratulations, you own only this deck and cannot play anything else. Yeah, do even the mana base, you're just you're playing all the scry yeah. lands, right? Like I guess you have gemstone mine probably, which maybe goes in some other spots, but 
Yeah, just nothing yeah, else. City of Brass, not currently setting the modern world on fire, believe it or not. Not a huge part of most mana bases. True. I think that card did go up recently, though. Uh, maybe it's one of those old school things. People are accumulating their Cities of Brass. Who knows? Who knows what motivates these weirdo cards to spike anymore? Yeah, the, even dude, even the Chronicles one is ten dollars. Wow, I, I probably have a mint in Cities of Brass. I need to go looking through my cards. In in April of 2017, it started climbing up. What do you think occurred in April of 2017, where everyone's like, "I need City of Brass." I have no idea. I don't know. Me neither. Me neither. The the twenty years of like Chronicles nonsense finally wore off. And do you have any Arabian City of Brasses? I don't think so, no. God, those are like 350. Yeah, those the old versions of some of these cards are just like so jacked up now. And I think a lot of that is due to old school, which is funny because mm, yeah. I, I know old school is a thing and I know a lot of people like it. And it seems cool. I, don't get me wrong. But I've never actually seen a game of it being played anywhere in my vicinity like there's I, I know there's people working to get the tournament scene going but it's not there yet i will say it has way more legs than some of these other tournaments that have come and gone things like frontier it, it's got a reason for existing and it speaks to a really nostalgic era of magic and it, it's a cool setup i don't know I, I hope it becomes more of a thing and more and more people buy into it but now at this point it's like price concerns are going to drive everything and it's kind of you know, bitten off its own face before it could get anywhere right. uh, by virtue of every deck costing $10,000. So I'll take the over. I'll take the way over. More than, more than $10,000 at this point. You're probably oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Un- unless you want to play like White Weenie or something. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I've, I've been to enough Grand Prix and just being around people like uh, Luis and Nathan Zamora, just like these crazy fanatics. You know, where they're just like, oh, I got to get like my last guardian beast or whatever. It's like, all right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of crazy cards have gotten good spikes from this. So good for you if you've been holding on to them. I think I've let most of that stuff go over the years. But I, I also found like random unlimited cards that are worth a ton. Like I had a unlimited Wrath of God in my binder that I generally just use. It's like one of my Wrath of Gods that I keep in rotation. That's like 70 bucks now or something preposterous. What the hell? Yeah, unlimited cards are worth a lot too. I have no idea why. God, why did I ever sell any of my magic cards? I know. We should have all just been never sell, just always accumulate, and you'd be doing much, much better uh, with that investment strategy than anything else. You got to wait like 20 years though. Well, I wasn't doing anything else, right? <laughs> I needed tombstone pizzas then, all right? Right, right. You were, you were trying to eat. Wow, actually... Near Mint Unlimited Wrath of God is on Star City right now for $150. Damn, dude, you're rich. I know. I don't need to do this podcast anymore. I'm walking off into the sunset with my Unlimited Wrath of Gods. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll find someone else. It'll be, it'll be okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for making me feel important to this, Look, uh, this whole enterprise. I thought you were just going to go work for Wizards like everyone else. But uh, this is, you know, kind of a, a weird way for this development to occur, but... You think I haven't prepped for this, man? I'm ready. No, it's smart. You should always be prepping for my eventual demise. I expect everyone to leave me, Brian. <laughs> That's kind of sad. I'm I'm glad I've exceeded your expectations, though. I've certainly had a much longer run than your other co-hosts at this point. Oh yeah, no, you're 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 basically just setting me up to fail. Like, you know, try and lull me into a false sense of security. Right, and then hit your bam really hard. Yep. 
So what else do you like from these results? I see uh, some some blue white controls, some Jeskai control. Not great. Yeah, not uh, not for me. And look, that deck has slowed down, right? There's not as many people still trying to force the opinion that it's particularly good. There's very little of it here, which I believe is correct, especially in the face of everything the format is currently about. You could talk to me about a retool. Like maybe there's a version, again, you could talk in Snaring Bridge. Maybe there's a version built just on like tap out control protecting Snaring Bridge. I could buy that. But we got to start from square one because existing builds of these blue white decks are not going to get the job done in the present format. And you're seeing it too, like in deck choices, like all these people who lived and died by this strategy are moving over to things like you have Rossum picking up Amulet Titan, right? And a bunch of people moving to Is It Phoenix. They've, they've finally conceded that this archetype may not have the tools to compete in modern. Not everyone quite yet, but yeah. So there's not a lot of burn decks either. That's kind of weird. I would expect that to be very popular at regionals, but maybe mm. for some reason... Like burn is a lot easier to hate on than than dredge is, and I'm not sure why that is. You're saying from like a sideboarding perspective, it's easier to find effective cards against burn than dredge. It just seems like people hate losing to burn more than they hate losing to dredge. I don't know. So they show proper respect to burn, whereas decks continue to not show proper respect to dredge. It's funny too, like somewhere back in the legacy era. We basically all got to the point where we're like, look, surgical extraction is nice, but it cannot be your plan against dredge. And now you ask everyone what their plan against dredge is, and they're like, well, I have four surgical extractions, so I can't lose. No, you lose. You're not going to beat dredge with surgical extraction. It needs more than that. Uh, It needs to both target their creatures in play as well as their ability to use the graveyard and four surgical extractions is not getting the job done anywhere. This is really a tale of disrespect, right? That's what's going on with dredge is yes. people just haven't made the appropriate moves yet. Well, also people don't really want to just like test against dredge, right? So it's like if you play on magic online, you're grinding modern leagues, you know, maybe you get to play against dredge on occasion and it's possible that you get to, you know, they, they Faithless Looting discard a single dredge card. You get to surgical it and buy a bunch of time and win eventually. And you're like, aha, like my, my sideboard card did it, right? Right. But that's realistically not what's going to happen in a lot of games. No, certainly not. And I, I think that's an outlier experience. And people get caught up in the times it does work. But yeah, you need a more a more focused graveyard attack and the cards exist, right? Like there's fine options. Every deck could play relic. Every deck could play cage. Every deck, you know, has option. Tormod's crypt is, is out there and all of these have their flaws, but people are just passing on them right now. That's like, they're not even interested in trying to stop dredge. Yeah. One of the reasons I advocated for Golgari going into this weekend was that you get things like scavenging ooze which by itself is not enough but you could also main deck nihil spell bomb which i think is good Mm -hmm. and then you also have surgical extraction on top of that with you know fulminator mage which is your plan against big mana is like fulminator field of ruin assassin's trophy take out their tron and like hopefully kill them before they actually get to six mana yeah and you know things like kalidus as well could certainly have an impact in the matchup a lot of these cards that in the context of modern seem a little bit lower powered like a lot of those cards you're talking about have bad matchups but 
if the format is truly warping. And that's the argument people want to make, right? If you're asking for bans, you're saying the format is warping. If that's truly the case, then these are the moves you make to bring it back in line. And this is how you readjust to a warped format. And no one's even trying. Everyone's just like, nah, I play my deck. Something's broken. Ban something, please. Like, what a what a backwards response. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I do enjoy the the challenge and the deck building aspect and like tuning and trying to figure out if there is something, especially in modern where it's like, Oh, ad nauseum would actually be really good right now. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think amulet was like that for a little bit and green black is, it it kind of falls under this umbrella of like fair decks and people are just like, Oh, fair decks aren't really good right now, but you can build like a very good green black, basically like a hate deck and have that be successful. And it's, it's not like you're going over the top and like, you know, playing Leyline of the Void main deck or whatever. It's like your cards are also serviceable. It just so happens that a lot of them line up really well against what people are doing right now. And I like that approach. I, I think that it's just fun and interesting. Yeah, you're talking about modal cards, right? And I think that's a really important approach to take in modern is finding good modal answers to problems. Like finding the card that still has value elsewhere but you can use to target these decks without hard targeting them and getting yourself a good matchup that way. And then there's like modal strategies too. Like I think of something like the Relics of Progenitus in Tron. Like Tron is pretty much plain Relic of Progenitus, even in non-graveyard focused metas. It just wants that cantrip ability and you know it needs to be able to cycle through all of its cards. But now where Relic of Progenitus is like, a super real card that can shut down entire strategies, then a deck like Tron gets a lot of points as well. And that's also a deck that, as you look through these results, seems to have had a good weekend. That makes a lot of sense, right? Where all these decks are very linear, very graveyard focused, and like aren't really ever going to beat some of these huge effects that Tron can do. Even a card like Worm Coil Engine is very problematic for both Dredge and Arclight Phoenix. And I I think as we continue down this path of these graveyard decks, you'll see more and more Tron start to pick up. And granted, people aren't always the happiest about that, but this is what modern looks like. Formats rotate. As long as Tron isn't omnipresent at every single tournament, I think I'm okay with it, you know? But if, if it is like Dredge or Burn, where it's like an ebb and flow kind of thing, like that is cool. Yeah, and I I think that is the nature of Tron, where it just goes up and down depending on what other players are doing. And then if Tron becomes the best thing, then you go to combo. And look, I don't need to tell you how a format circulates, right? We've all seen it a million times. Just for some reason, we're pretending this one isn't going to. And I don't know why we feel that way right now. I don't know. Just something about the, the culture and I think Twitter in general where it, it's just like, oh, yeah, looting is is a giant problem. Like, let's just get rid of it. Somehow that got perpetuated, and I, I don't know how. And, like, there's there's also, like, the, the people who want to unban Splinter Twin, which I don't really understand because Splinter Twin <laughs> yeah, the, invalidated. Those are crazy. Splinter Twin invalidated, like, I don't know, half of the decks that are seeing play right now. It's just comical. Yeah, that is that is the one take. I don't even want to talk about it here because I, I don't know how you even begin to defend the take of Splinter Twin should come off the ban list. And again, people are going to yell at me because I said this right now. And I, I just don't get it. I don't. I mean, if, if someone could provide me like a good rationalization for why it should be unbanned, that's fine. But I mean, in the interest of uh, diversity in modern, I mean, like Splinter Twin just being a turn four combo that is relatively consistent 
just means that there are a lot of these things that exist right now in the format that you couldn't be doing otherwise. Like Arclight Phoenix, the card would be a complete joke. Yeah, there's a lot of cards that would be a complete. I think Dredge is a strategy is a complete joke. And like, it's this kind of bizarre world where they say, yes, that's true, but those are the games we should be playing. Why? Why are, why are those Splinter Twin games the games we're consenting to? And then you're just ignoring the number of non-games that Splinter Twin absolutely brings to the table as well. So right. I don't know. There were certainly good games against Splinter Twin, right? There were interesting games where you're playing around Cantrip, or excuse me, playing around like Counter Magic, and you had to play around what do they have? Do they have Vines of Vestwood? Now they would have Dive Down. All these things are very interesting sometimes. And other times they're just absolutely abysmal and awful to play against and invalidate half the format. So yeah, that's never going to happen. We're never going to have Splinter Twin again. I agree that the games against Splinter Twin were interesting, but that time has passed, right? Like we've all been through it. We've played those games. It would not be interesting very much anymore. So what the hell, you know, like yeah. why, why, why would we do that? Why are we doing it? I, I agree. I don't have an answer for you. I mean, I, I own, I think, five copies of Splinter Twin. So I'm not, I'm not just saying this, you know. I, you know I, I lost, what, $40 when that card got banned. Oh, well. Right. And you're trying to recoup that now by arguing for an unbanned. Maybe that's the play. No, nah, whatever. I'll, I'll just, like, mail them to someone, like one of our patrons. Yeah, that's a good use. Uh, any card that's banned, we should ship our copies to our patrons. And that way, if it ever does come off, they can have it. <laughs> so I was mostly doing that. Like all of all of my like reflector mages and Felidar guardians are just gone. That's good. That's good. They they're, hopefully they're bringing someone joy now. It, it I mean it it mattered more because I was kind of known for those cards, whereas I wasn't really known for Splinter Twin. But right, did you play any Splinter Twin? Some, yeah, a little bit briefly when it was in standard and a tournament or two in modern, but I never did well with it. I think I remember you finishing second at an open that we stayed together at Maddie Jem's house in Worcester. And I think you were playing Splinter Twin in that tournament. Mm, was that the survival one? Wasn't that legacy? No, this was a standard tournament for sure. I don't know. We'd have to go to the, go to the archives and figure out exactly what was going on there. But I feel like that was when you were playing Splinter Twin and it was like the, the one with like the blue shrine uh, I think it was just like blue, red, splinter twin in standard. Yeah, I've I never top eight at a tournament with it. it I, like I would always try it every once in a while, and then I would get crushed, and then I would just go back to playing Cobblade. That's interesting. I'm gonna have to. I'll do some research outside of this podcast, and I'll figure out exactly what I'm thinking of. Yeah, let me know because I, I remember. Maybe, that. maybe you lost the splinter twin. Maybe you lost the splinter twin, and that's what I'm thinking of. No, I do remember that. Yeah, I, I did lose the twin. I was playing Cobblade though. Okay, my mistake. No, that's cool, man. Just, you know, bring up bring up bad memories of me getting burned out by Grim Lava Mancer. Right. I like to I like to torment you with those past defeats. There there weren't many, man, so they all sting. That's true. That was a good error for you for sure. Yeah, uh Artifact Prison, ad nauseum. Uh how do you feel about Green Black in general? Like, do you think that that actually has merit? I know that a lot of people who played it this weekend. We're kind of talking about how they just need to get into the winner's bracket in order to be playing against the quote unquote real decks. Is that actually a thing? I I don't know, but like that was my read on the version you posted was like, yes, this absolutely does a great job of targeting these problems. But like, what if you get paired against this deck? And what if you get paired against that deck? And that was my concern with it. So I don't know. 
I would have to play some games and figure out what those matchups actually look like. But again, if the format warps, this is a step you can take. And I think you've identified that there are ways to target these decks. It's just that the format is not actually warped. And it's like those two decks, Dredge and Phoenix, represent what? 15? If we're being super generous, 15% of the field, probably. Very generous. Yeah. 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 So we're not at that point yet. And I don't know enough about how that deck is going to play that deck being the rock in these other matchups as it stands right now. So certainly as an archetype, I love that approach. I've, I've always wanted to do fair green, black things in modern. I played it at like an open, I feel like a Syracuse open. It was right after my shoulder surgery and I just literally had to drop from the tournament cause I was in so much pain, but I played green black <laughs> right. and it, it felt good. Like I, I enjoyed the deck and it certainly has like modern power level and targets a lot of things very well. But there's kind of some unanswered questions about certain matchups before I can sign off on it 100%. Well, the thing is, is at the end of the day, you're not you're not hard targeting anything. You're not playing surgical mean deck. You're playing Nile Spell Bomb. So it's, maybe it's not ideal in a lot of matchups, but at the, the fail case is that it cycles, right? And right. if, you know, Thoughtseize, Tarmogoyf, Liliana are not good against the matchup, then hopefully I have some cards that can actually help swing it. But... There, there might just be too many decks where that series of cards is not very good, which would be an indicator of, you know, like why the deck is not super popular right now, which I, I could totally understand. Have you thought about other potential homes for like Nile Spellbomb decks? Like blue-black decks, perhaps? I, I mean, obviously there's fairies sitting out there and certainly only one player ever does well with fairies so we've kind of discarded that archetype but like there's other approaches you could do with main deck nile spellbomb we have like terramander which has shown up now so some kind of blue black you know with a lot of Thoughtseize, inquisition cheap blue interaction and then leaning on nile spellbomb to both control the graveyard and get a little bit of you know card cycling and card selection i, I don't know i could see that potentially having legs the awkward thing is, is that like once you're blue, like in, in the case of Terramander, I don't think that you can really afford to play Nile Spellbomb because you already have to play things like Thought so Scour and, and Serum Visions. So like your early mana is just pretty much taxed. In fairies, when they're not playing all those cantrips, I, I think it's more palatable. I think it does make more sense. I, I do think that Bitter Blossom is just very good right now too, where a lot of these decks just kind of force you to interact with them for like multiple turns in a row. So just having a threat that you can play early and then just kind of like, you know, sit behind it and protect it is, is actually pretty good. And spell starter sprite is actually just really good now too. Speaking of decks that I dream of someday being good. I think fairies has to be at the very top of my list. I, I wish I had uh, the type of skills to be able to pilot it successfully presently. I don't think I do though. Uh, and I'm going to need something to make it just a little bit better before I actually become a fairies player again. Like, like Yuriko? Uh, I, what, what's Yuriko? I don't even remember what that card is. <laughs> the ninja, the legacy ninja. Oh, well, we don't, we don't have the legacy ninja in modern, which we're presently talking about. Also, we never resolved our Niv Magus versus uh, Yuriko bet, but I looked at the top 32 because we had no copies in the top eight. Across the top 32 of that tournament where we were betting whether there would be more Niv Magus or Yuriko, there were zero Yuriko and there was one Niv Magus elemental in the entire top 32. So if we were to stretch the definition to include every possible deck that was reported, Niv Magus elemental would have been the winner. 
Yeah, we weren't doing that though. So I know, but we otherwise we both just totally missed and uh, had nothing to offer. So all right, now I'm looking at uh, Utah's fairies list, and this man three bitter blossom. I hate it. Look. At some point, you just have to be like, okay, you are the only person on the planet who wins with this deck. I just have to see to you. And obviously, you understand something I do not. And that's where I'm at with Yuta's fairies list. Yuta continues to put up decent, if not very, very good results at every single modern tournament he plays, only playing this deck and no one else finds success ever. I, I love that he's gone on record saying that he is never skipping another modern GP. <laughs> That's awesome. He's just like, I, I own this format. I will always be there. He's he's just the fairies guy. That's all it is. But he's only got That's three cool. bitter blossoms and three spell stutters. So it doesn't even really count anymore. Now he's just like blue, black, mid range. Yeah, the deck has taken on some odd turns. Are there any Nile spell bombs in the deck? He has three in the board. One of his recent tweets was talking about how he should have like two main deck or something. So, okay. I, I do think it's a good place for it. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a nice home. Uh, but other than that, uh, like past just actual green black decks, I don't think there are a lot of good homes for Nile Spellbomb because Mardu has a lot of the same issues too, where right. you know, you're trying to interact early, play Faithless Looting and discard spells and stuff on turn one. And it, like you also care about the spell count for Reveler and everything. So it, mm-hmm. like you could, you could certainly do it. I think that's another one of those decks where I'd rather just main deck Surgical Extraction if you actually cared enough. Not that I think that it does enough, but I would probably rather go down that route. Yeah, I could buy that. It's like a necessary concession for these decks if they want to hang, but it doesn't feel good. Like nobody wants a main deck surgical extraction. You have to look at it just like a free spell. It's like better than mutagenic growth and gut shot. And that's why you're playing it. And not because it's actually going to be super impactful. But yeah, it's it's a strange place where that's become acceptable at this point because that's a card that people, including myself, have been like, you know, staunchly anti, uh, especially as far as main deck inclusion goes, for many many years. The format has taken a bizarre turn. I think Magic has taken a bizarre turn. I don't know. Well, that's interesting. Expand on that. What do you what do you think for the whole of Magic? Like, what are we witnessing right now? Try and put it into words. There, there just seems to be a shift towards and maybe this is like a card design thing where it is forcing people to like reevaluate things a little differently, but yeah, like, you know, surgical extraction, extirpate those kinds of cards. We're just like, Oh man, this, this card is horrible. Like it does not Mm -hmm. do enough. And when you play against a deck like dredge, you very quickly realize that certainly one surgical extraction is not enough. Maybe the second one's not even enough. If you have Snapcaster Mage in your deck, it gets a little more reasonable, I guess, because if you draw a Surgical, then maybe you have access to multiple Surgicals. But even then, you know, like, are are you going to get the Blood Gas, the Amalgams, the Life from the Loam, the Conflagrates? Like, you you just have to have so many things. You have to resolve so many Surgicals to actually win. So that that card went from just being like, yeah, this is garbage, to I, I guess we just play this main deck now and then that becomes like, oh, well, if people have to main deck surgical, then I guess Faithless Looting is busted. It's just like mm. logic Logic seems to have flown out of the window. Yeah, I see what you're saying. People have taken that as a sign of sickness for the format, but it's not quite that simple. Right, and is playing surgical extraction main deck even correct? 
because I don't even necessarily think that it is. Yeah, well, look, if you want to talk about how the hive mind works with decks like this, remember there was a time when this deck played like a thought scour or maybe two thought scours and people weren't playing the full thought scours and we were here on this cast being like, what are you doing? Please play thought scour. And now every deck has four thought scours, of of course. But for a long time, people just copied what everyone else was doing. So it doesn't mean it's correct. It just means it's in vogue right now. And if that's the case, I think you as a player have to do your duty and just always be questioning, is this actually where I'm supposed to be or am I just buying into the format as everyone else is presenting it to me? And I think you could make the same argument for the the BNR announcement. Right, right. It's a, definitely two sides of the same coin. So I would encourage thinking for yourself. And if you say something to the effect of, man, they, sh- they should have banned Faithless Looting. Well, ask yourself if that's actually the case. Yeah, do the next steps. Go a few steps further, figure out what the format actually looks like. And uh, think about other people's experience, too. I think that's a fine thing to do. Yep, absolutely. And if you could do that stuff, like think about it and then post on social media, that would be cool. (laughs) No, you have to post immediately. As soon as you have a thought, it's your job to throw it on Twitter. I hope you know that. You don't get time to think about it. You just put it out there and let it ride. Am I just old? Like, that's not really how I use social media. Uh, no, that's that's good, Jerry. I, I think a lot of people could use a little bit more thoughtfulness in their social media. Definitely not talking about anyone in particular. Definitely not. Just saying some people could use some more <laughs> thoughtfulness on social media. All right. So I have this mythic invitational thing coming up. Oh, do you? That's kind yeah. of a, a big deal, right? Kind of big stakes. I don't know. That's what they tell me. I'm not really taking it all that seriously because the format is fake and there there's just you know for a lot of the tournaments that i test for it's like okay if i put in the work i know that i will get to a place where i am you know confident and competent right uh-huh i am not is concerned that not the case here I, I yeah i'm not convinced that this is the case okay i was i was going to call you on some bs there because that's a very unjerry like stance to take that this is a fake format and i can't learn it but it sounds like you are trying to learn it and finding some frustrations is that correct so the problem is is that it, it it's duo standard for those who do not know and obviously if you don't know you probably have no idea what the hell duo standard means and right. it's just you bring two standard decks they can overlap in 60 cards if you want you can play the exact same deck and you randomly determine whether or not you play deck A or deck B against your opponent, also randomly determining what deck they play. And then game two is you play the opposite matchup. Game three is you each pick a deck in secret from your opponent, right? The problem with this is that there have been no tournaments like this before, and I have no idea what other people are thinking. And now a lot of people are streaming and stuff too, but I don't necessarily buy into the fact that like everyone is just streaming their testing for this million dollar tournament, right? Like there are obviously conversations that are happening behind the scenes that are going to affect this tournament. And I watched Martin Jusa stream mono red for 35 matches today or whatever, 35 games. And mm-hmm. there, there's just no way in hell that that is the best thing that he has or whatever. Right. But anyway, yeah, it's like the, the, the lineups are like aggro, aggro, aggro control, aggro mid, and then, you know, combinations of that stuff, right? And then there's like team reclamation. There's a bunch of weirdo decks that might 
like you might play if you're trying to hard target aggro, like if you're playing like the green white angel explore deck that BBD hit mythic with in like December or whatever. So like there, there's just like a, a bunch of different options for things that people can do. And at the end of it, I think that none of my decisions really matter. And that is kind of propped up by the fact that best of one is sort of joke format and people are now tracking the results in best of one and being like, Oh, I win on the play way more than anything else. Like it doesn't matter what deck I play, what matchups I have. If I'm on the play, I'm a favorite. Yeah. I think a lot of that is like the aggro leaning nature of the format. I mean, if, even if you're not playing aggro, there's a very high chance you are against aggro. So certainly play is very, very important in both contexts. I I guess like, that's where I wanted to start is not necessarily what you think of this duo standard, but getting to the core of what has been your experience playing best of one. Because I'll tell you, I I wanted to make Mythic this season because there's obviously the like top 1000 play the qualifier. So I, I made it very early on and I was just trying to find what works for me, like how I wanted to grind. And I started with best of three and then I got to like, I guess like the platinum area. And I was like, well, maybe I'll take a look at best of one and see how that plays. And if it's a faster climb or anything. And I made it three games of best of one. And I'm like, nope, done with this. (laughs) Zero interest. It's just like, I didn't want to play mono red mirrors. I didn't want to. And and that's not invalidating it as a format. Like, I think there's something there. I think there's interesting deck building choices you can make in the format. But like at the same time, you just don't feel like you have as much control over the outcomes. Like there's going to be a lot more of you being dictated to and less room for strategic flexibility in both deck building because you're short 15 cards and in like, you know, the sideboarding strategy that you employ, which I think is a huge part of magic. And I miss it when I'm doing best of one. So for me, hard pass, I am a best of three player, unless you give me a very, very pronounced reason to be a best of one player. What's been your experience just playing the best of one games and not even worrying about the format at large? It just feels like a lot of 50%. Like everything feels like 50%. And like you said, play draw, incredibly, incredibly important. Well, here's the thing. I think that best of one existing is great. I think it is awesome. Yeah, I agree. I and agree. I think I think that given enough time, best of one could even get to a point where it's actively good once they start designing for that format. Mm-hmm. But the way the format is set up right now, where you have, you know, we, we've talked about this for a while now, where you have like these very polarizing aggressive decks and control decks, or, you know, before it was like Nexus to kind of fit on that far end of the the spectrum with like, you know, no creatures and just kind of like doing their thing in a way that a lot of decks can't really interact with them on. And there wasn't a whole lot of space for things to do in the middle because decks like Sultai and even to some degree Esper, like they need their sideboards to be able to actually fight these decks. So if the format were less polarizing, if it was like more mid range and, you know, the control decks maybe had creatures and Nexus or Reclamation were not a thing. Like these just, you know, cr- effectively creatureless decks that kill you with like expansion or even just like playing a Nimbizit and protecting it or whatever. If those decks didn't exist, I think it would be fine. Even if there were things like Mono Red and Mono Blue, like these things that were polarizing in their own nature, right? But instead, trying to build a deck that is actually good against the majority of decks is basically impossible to the point where I think that you just have to scoop some matchup and then we play this duo standard thing and 
we we roll the dice to figure out who plays what deck. And if you lose the matchup lottery, you probably lose. And if you lose the die roll, like you're an even bigger dog. And basically what it comes down to is I want to have, I think, a deck that is really heavily anti-aggro with maybe like, these are just made up numbers, but like a 20% chance to win against other stuff. And then a deck that I don't mind just clicking submit for game three, no matter what they're playing. So if there were more like just, if you could register two forty-eight percent decks, like that seems like a place you would probably be pretty comfortable with, where you just had like 48% against everyone and got to leverage some skill advantage. It's like the version of playing Sultai at the Pro Tour would be like two forty-eight percent decks at this tournament. Because we're we're just conceding that there's no like 50% deck, no 52% deck. You just have to take a little bit of a dog if you're not going to say, okay, I'm playing the matchup lottery. But like you said, it's impossible to find that sweet spot. And it's funny to me that like you mentioned Esper is a deck that needs its sideboard. Despite that fact, I would say that Esper is very much a pillar of the best of one meta right now because it it's is. like the anti-aggro deck. Right. Because it's exactly what you're describing where you're just target hard targeting these white and red decks and basically scooping in a host of other situations. And I don't know what to do about that. It's like... You want more and more modal spells, right? That's the key to being able to be flexible, but they don't exist yet. And maybe they will at some point because best of one's a new thing. And I, I do think like very consciously cards are being developed for best of one uh, as it stands right now, though. It doesn't feel like they're quite there. There's stuff like, there's also weird things like masterminds acquisition can still go get you 15 cards from your sideboard. Oh yeah, That's you, really, really weird to me. You can submit a sideboard, like your deck can actually right. just have a sideboard, right? Like what if you Thief of Sanity into their Masterminds acquisition or whatever? You you should have a sideboard. Like right. if you're showing up for this tournament, you should have a 15-card sideboard associated with your 60-card deck. I mean, assuming you have things like Thief or Masterminds acquisition or whatever, like my, my Gruul deck is not going to have a right. sideboard. Right, right, you're right. I mean, I guess I could dire fleet daredevil their masterminds acquisition. You could, right? You potentially could, and then you should find like the most insane silver bullets possible, right? Because you're not going into your sideboard, right? I just opened up this whole new can of worms. Yeah, think about this too. I I can barely wrap my head around this best of one stuff without having to think about what random crappy bullets I need. But realistically, yeah, if, I, if I play against like Oliantrazi's mono black Niv Mizzet deck with Mastermind's Acquisition, that is probably the best card for me to Dire Fleet. Yeah, it may be. And now I've created 15 cards for you to go find. But it's it's weird. It's it's interesting, but it doesn't feel like it's fully developed yet. And it's crazy that the most high stakes tournament in Magic history is going to be played in this format. Like, I, I'm not complaining about it. I'm never going to complain about a huge money injection into the game. It's great that you are going to have the opportunity to compete for this much money, regardless of, uh, look, if they wanted you to play best of one Rivals of Ixalan draft, then I'm sure you would sign up for that too if you had the opportunity to make this much money. And I've been doing that to myself willingly for the past week, so that shows you where my head's at. <laughs> but you, you certainly are not bemoaning the chance to participate i'm sure but it's weird that you're doing it in this fashion and what do you think about how it's going to translate as a viewer experience do you think it's better for the viewer that you're playing best of one at this tournament well i will say that in the last couple weeks i've probably built like 20 decks specifically for best of one laddering 
And if that mm-hmm. actually translates, you know, if people actually like do experiment with the format and build decks like this and try it, one of the things I've been trying to do is like, you know, find specific creatures and spells that are not necessarily the best in a vacuum, but are the best against like a wide variety of things that I'm playing against. So like you're talking about the motor right. cards and I think that those are very important and just having a card like cast down in your deck for best of one is not really viable. Mm-hmm. So if someone shows up with like a, a Jun deck or Rakdos deck or uh, maybe Orzov or whatever, and that ends up being good for best of one, like, that is cool. And then people can then, you know, see that deck on, on stream, be like, Oh, this is cool. This makes a lot of sense. And then go pilot it on the best of one ladder and have success. Right. And I, I think that that is actually a good thing. And I think that they should have tournaments that do try to, you know, focus on best of one and cater to that to some degree. I don't necessarily think that now is the best time to do that, especially since like, they weren't planning on doing best of three ladder and then people complained and then they, you know, just built it in a week or whatever. Now the tournament could just be best of three. And I think that that would be fine, you know, but whatever. What do you think the odds are that someone shows up to this tournament and just breaks it? Like, is there a deck potentially out there that could be better than anything anyone has found and just kind of sets this tournament on fire? Well, it's, it's weird where, like, do you, they, they can submit two copies of the same deck, right? Do you think that people are going to do that? Like I found a thing that is so good against literally everything that I can just submit two copies and it'll, it'll just be fine. You know, like I think it does make sense to, you know, if, if you have an opponent that has two aggro decks in their lineup, even if they're like mono white and mono blue, that you can have a deck that you can very easily submit for game three. I think that that is important. Well, there's there's the random element, right? So if you really believe you have obliterated this format, you just you found it. You found the silver bullet to set the world on fire. You probably should be showing up with two copies of it. I I mean you should be maximizing your chances. Uh whether that's a real thing in what you described accurately as a very polarized format is another question altogether. And I lean towards no. I think it's just there's too many too many questions to answer. There's too many different things to account for. And I don't think anyone's going to find it. But, you know, the vision you're putting forth of best of one, where you're considering these new creatures and these new spells, and you're making your deck as modal as possible and being adaptive, it's kind of beautiful. Like, it sounds like a really exciting, cool way to play magic. And that's why I generally buy best of one. Like I think it has a place in magic's future. Um, it feels accelerated at this point though. And I don't think we're quite there. Um, I'm hoping that my main thing that I want out of this tournament is one for you to win two for it to just be a super engaging viewership experience and really set off both the MPL and just this new wave of competitive magic, uh, in the right fashion. And I, I hope it just has a good showing and is an engaging product. I do too, man. I, I, I hope that that's the case. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of that hinges on coverage and the production value of the tournament, not necessarily on what does the actual gameplay look like. And I know that that might, mm-hmm. that might be underselling magic, but I don't think so. It's like more of a optimistic standpoint because no matter what, I think that the games of magic are actually going to be pretty good and pretty engaging.
Oh yeah, tons of great players there, um, and you know, Arena helps a bunch getting to see the game clearly. Yep. Uh, you know, having any kind of Twitch add-ons which will allow you to mouse over cards, all those things are going to matter a ton. It's going to make a huge difference. I anticipate this will probably be the most viewed Magic tournament ever. Uh, I would kind of be surprised if it wasn't. Same. And you're you're spot on. A lot of it's going to hinge on how it's presented, how it's delivered, and uh, we don't know. We we really have no clue as to what like coverage teams are going to look like or what the setup's going to look like. And uh, I'm assuming you probably don't know either at this point, right? Nope. You don't have any inside MPL information that you're not sharing with us. No, I mean I I know some stuff that was rumored or whatever, but it's like, I, I wouldn't even give it like 20% to actually be true. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to say anything, but yeah, I don't know. I I've obviously been very harsh on coverage in the past. And I think to most of it rightfully so. And I, I hope that things are done differently. I think they kind of have to be done differently, right? You can't cover this like you would cover a paper tournament that's not going to translate one your audience is different and there's a level of expectation when it comes to presentation of esports like this hearthstone league of legends even shadowverse when i watched a little bit of a shadowverse tournament i thought it was very well presented very well done you know that's what esports fans expect and i think wizards will be aware of that i think they will make appropriate concessions and appropriate arrangements to have all of their coverage ducks in a row and deliver us a really nice tournament because this is, I mean, this is as big an opportunity as Magic has had in a very long time. And uh, I, I don't see them missing. I think they realize just how important this is. I mean, here's hoping. Fingers crossed. I'm an optimist at heart, just like just like you, Jerry. We, we talked about BDM's read on you last week about how you're an optimist. And I, I know you just want the best for this and uh, we'll see if it gets delivered. Yeah, I mean, I, I was an optimist as far as, you know, like everything Wizards of the Coast was concerned for about 15 years, and that has dropped off significantly in the last few. So I'm, I'm right. cautiously optimistic. Uh, I'm, you know, kind of at the point where I've sort of been beaten down about this sort of stuff. So I don't know. We'll see. Okay. I mean, I, I get to play in the tournament, and I don't necessarily have to be – at home watching suffering through if it's, if it's a bad experience or anything, but I'll definitely be on Twitter in between rounds and everything. So I'm sure I'll hear about it. You're already a winner too. You've already solidified $7,500 just by walking in the door. Not a bad, not a bad haul. No, it's not. Uh, absolutely not. And like the, the money is obviously incredible, but realistically I'm, I'm definitely more concerned about how the product itself is going to turn out because that's going to be, a bigger determining factor for my future than $7,500. That is true. And I think not only your future, but everyone's future. Right. I, I think the more, the more delivery there is to this product, the better it is for every single one of us. And that's why I'm kind of being a fanboy here. I'm just taking the optimist route and I'm going to do my best to support the product. And I, you know, I'm going to tell my friends to watch it who might not ordinarily engage with magic products. I'm going to hope this is the one that just blows them away and gets them in. So we'll see. Yeah, if it happens, that's awesome. But then, you know, if it's if it's bad or or medium, then it's just like, all right, cool, more of the same. And then where do we go from here? You know, right. Well, we shall see. How many more TSM new mods are there going to be? Uh, well, that's a good question, and I 
I mean, we're excited for Numat. That's a really cool pickup. Yeah, Kenji's gas. Yeah, I I think he's been in it from the beginning. You could certainly argue nobody deserves it more as far as devotion to the streaming platform than Kenji, you know, and also has done so plain limited too, which speaks to just how engaging Kenji is a person is as a, as a person. So props to Kenji for picking up that TSM sponsorship. I'd love to see some of those esports orgs look towards the MPL. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. Hopefully in the future, that's something that goes on. Would be nice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, if if you have any best of one brews, hit me up. Uh, I, we already did our, our soft submit, basically, which is just if you have any idea of like what you're going to be playing, then send a deck list over by this date so that they can start QAing for different interactions and stuff, which I think is cool and a really good idea. And oh, that then, is cool. And then yeah, great idea. I think next week we we submit our decks for real, for real. So if I just had to lock it in now, I think I would be fine. But I know that there there is like a lot of potential work to be done. It's just frustrating because I have no idea what anyone else is going to do. So Yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of is unique, right? Because you go into a pro tour, you could look at the weeks prior and you kind of get a feel from magic online results and this and that. And now we are reliant only on arena deck list to bring us the hotness and best of one. And uh, that's you. So if if you don't know what's going on, I I don't know what anyone else is doing presently. Yeah. I mean, there's the smoke screen of like everyone streaming their stuff too. So like Martin played a bunch of mono red and then I was later watching canister canister played against Martin when Martin was off stream and he was playing like red, black mid range. Right. So it's like, Mm. obviously there's, there's some weird stuff going on, but whatever. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. How much of what we're seeing is what is actually out there. And you have to think it's certainly not a hundred percent. There's gotta be some, some secret testing going on as well. Yeah. For, for the, for the PT, for the MC, I think it, it, it was valuable for people to just stream a lot of their testing because the format had been live for five weeks, but this mm-hmm. this is a tournament where people who are knowledgeable and used to breaking formats can get like a huge edge and the monetary reward is so huge and it's super top heavy. So like if there's ever a yeah. tournament to spike, it's this one. So yeah, you should probably not be streaming your testing. And that's a weird spot for uh, 31 of the 32 MPL members who are doing all this streaming work. And uh, I, I mean, you have people like Ben S who still just continues to stream limited, which is awesome. Again, I love seeing people just devoting their, themselves to limited and being like, nope, this is my format. I'm leaning into it. And uh, you're either coming along with me or getting left behind. I appreciate that wholeheartedly. And uh, Arena has done a lot for my love of limited, too. I've certainly missed playing as much limited as I have been recently. So I get that. I like that people are leaning into it, but there's a bunch of other people who are just playing best of one every day. And it's kind of weird to think that may not be getting the full picture despite that. Yeah. My main gripe with limited on arena is I don't ever want to play seven games with the same deck. It's, it's at least a game too long. If not two. I think that's my take on it. And I feel you. And I have just dropped in the middle of like a live event where like if i'm like three and two and i'm like this deck is medium i know i'm eventually picking up this loss a lot of times i'll just pack it in and want to move on to my next draft i don't know i guess there's people who want the value of being able to play that many games so i don't want to discount their experience but 
from my perspective, I agree with you. I would like it to be at least one, if not two games shorter for a draft run. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would be happy with that. I'm not sure how other people would feel about it necessarily. And certainly if I'm in the minority, then, you know, who cares about me? Right. But yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I've, I've dropped from plenty of drafts while still being live because the, the happy part for me is the actual drafting experience, not necessarily playing the games. So it's like, I would, right. I would like fight to finish my tournament so that I could draft again. And then I would very often just close the program after I drafted. Yeah. No, I feel you. I've, I've done the exact same pattern. You know, it's, it's hard to be cranky about it. Cause I'm thankful for the platform and being able to play the games. And even though I'm somehow being forced to play rivals of Ixalan, which I will admit is not as bad as I expected it to be. I don't think I really drafted that much rivals. I think I was drafting Ixalan a bunch. And then I was like, I'm done with this. Thank you. I'll, I've had enough. And then just sat out rivals, but it, it's fine. It's, it's not the best, but it, it's certainly better than Ixalan. Yeah, rivals is so much better than just Ixalan. It's it's crazy. I would yeah. rather just draft triple rivals than just get that Ixalan pack out of there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the the swings in the Ixalan pack are huge, right? Like you get tremendous payoffs for a bunch of the tribal decks. That if you hit them, great, you nailed it. And if you miss, it's just like, well, my deck is kind of incomplete now. And then you face your opponent who got the payoffs, and uh, it feels like a very swingy third pack. I'd put it that way. Oh yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Anything else arena related? Because we, we plan on talking about that a little bit. I am still mostly playing best of three for constructed. Although after I hit mythic, I think this is interesting. I'll share this actually. And I'm going to get an up to the date number because my plan was to basically hit mythic, sit there and just ride it out to the top 1000 because that's kind of what I cared about. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll try and get mythic over on the limited side as well. And that's okay. where I've been playing recently. But so I, I went into Mythic at, I think, 130-something, maybe 131. And this was about a week ago. And I'm opening Arena right now because I want to tell you where I'm sitting now with a week of basically no play. I just I haven't touched Constructed whatsoever. And I went from 130 to 873 right now. Yeah. So in, the, in about a week... Me playing no games, I was passed by 740 plus people. So that kind of discounts the possibility of just rushing into Mythic and then sitting there. I'm going to have to play some more to hold top 1,000, which is fine. I mean, I I was just kind of under the impression because I went in at about a 66% win rate. And I'm like, well, that must be pretty good as far as like an ELO calculation goes. I think it'll probably hold pretty hard. It did not. Uh, so there's something else going on with the ranking system or, you know, or just, I was passed and that also could be the case. I don't know, but yeah, it's just kind of a long winded way of saying you can't just get there and then sit for the entire season. You're going to have to play some more and use that to hold your position. Well, there was something that showed up on Nassif's Twitter where they were speculating that it was possible that your MMR doesn't get reset every season. Yeah, and I kind of buy this, and let me tell you why. This this trends towards conspiracy conspiracy theory, but yes, it does. Uh, this came from a tweet from Kyle Rose, yes. who was the number one limited player in like past seasons, and he was basically chronicling his efforts to get to mythic and limited this season and said he was basically doing very poorly, like just barely over a fifty percent win rate, I think. 
um, and was expecting to go in probably in numbers when he actually hit Mythic and Limited. And then he got to Mythic and was still the number one ranked Limited player, despite you know having an absolutely abysmal, by his account, season. So he began to postulate there must be some hangover. You must retain some of your MMR for the future. And I was like, well, okay, I kind of buy that. That makes sense given your experience. And then what really sold it for me was a few days after I hit Mythic, maybe it was just one day after I hit Mythic, Martin, Martin Juzo went into Mythic and he said he detailed his win rate. He said he made it with a, I think, 54% win rate. Okay. And he, he went in 60 spots higher than I did. Yep. With a 65% win rate. Now that's theoretically possible, but it's extremely unlikely. Extremely unlikely. Yep. And that just points to some kind of MMR hangover. And look, it's really problematic that we don't have clarity as to how these systems work. It's fine if there is hangover, but tell us about it. Like, let us know what's going on, especially if there was hangover going into last season where the top eight slots mattered so much. And is it possible that your performance in the season prior to that also mattered and nobody knew about it? Yep. I think we have no idea right now. And it would be really nice to have some clarity. Well, if, if this thing does exist, I can't imagine that it's purposeful, right? So I, I would just think that it's a bug or it was something that got overlooked that was an accident because it does seem like, yeah, if, if you were just like, you know, grinding in preparation for the month of grinding for the Invitational and it's like, you know, you were number one Mythic or whatever, you were high up there and then you just hit Mythic maybe even like late in the month where it yeah. keeps you for the invitational and you just start at like 20 or something like that's just absurd. That's, that's right. such a huge boost for you, especially since people weren't playing the month before, right? Because they, they were told they didn't have to. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's problematic. But again, this is all speculation. I don't know that any of this is the case. It's just weird that those two events happened in such close proximity to each other where I kind of was able to get some data and be like, mm, okay, maybe there is something going on here. Because like I said, it sounds very conspiracy theory. I mean, it does. But so Martin was uh, playing, like he was trying to get top eight for the mythic thing just to say that he did it. Mm-hmm. And he he was like top 20 or something. And then he fell down into like top 100, top 150, like towards the end. And then he just stopped trying because he was, it was like too far gone, basically. Right. Right. But but he was still, you know, like top 150, top 100 mythic or whatever. So like him go, coming in at 60 instead of like 130 makes a lot of sense, even though a day has passed. Yep. And there were probably a lot more people who actually hit mythic in that time, too. Yeah, and and just the win rate discrepancy as well. I mean, yeah. granted, his was in best of one, I was in best of three. So there's that question. I don't know what that does. Okay. So yeah, I'm not sure how that would change things, but again, I, but that's that's part of the problem, right? It's like we just don't know. We don't have any clarity as to how it works, and that's really what I'm objecting to. I don't care how it works. Just tell me. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I mean, I, I do think that there is a problem if they're like, oh, yeah, it does work like this. Like your MMR carries over and it's like, oh, so people just had this advantage going from January to February. And they're just like, yeah, that's like, well, yeah, we, that, we, pro- we probably should have known that. Yep, And that's why we may never if this is the case, we may never get the information because people would be kind of upset. Yeah, my guess is, is that they will fix it in silence and just never tell anyone about it. We shall see. Well, or not. <laughs> or never see, or be completely blind to it. But yeah, it, it'll get resolved one way or another. 
Uh, Arena is great, but yeah, hit, hit me with a question. Okay. I like this question. I, I read this question and I immediately I had an answer to it. And I'm curious if it's going to inspire the same response from you. Uh, this question comes from Discord regular Liam. I can't pronounce Liam's last name. Callahan, I think is how you actually pronounce it. I always want to say Callahan. I do it comes too. from Liam. And Liam wants to know, what's your favorite magic deck that you've never played? I think that's a really interesting question. And I'm dying to know your answer, Jerry. Well, I, I have this very weird problem where I've played a lot of magic and Me too. if, Me if too. there, if there was ever a deck that I saw that I liked, I've probably played with it. However, there, there is a reason that whenever someone asks me, you know, what is your favorite format? I'm just like of all time or current. And they're like, ah, of all time. And I'm like extended circuit 2002. And they're just like, what, you know? And <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that there are so many good decks in that format. Like the format was super awesome. And this is this is like OG OG extended with dual lands where they had like right. this this special rule that like revised cards were not legal, but the, the original dual lands were legal. You could do things like play Oath of Druids, play Reanimator, play like tricks, and there were these decks that were like Abzan and Naya that had fun little names like Junk and Three Deuce. And then towards the end of that format, the Japanese started breaking it where they would just like put Oath in their tricks deck to beat Miracle Grow and stuff like that. And it kind of just like spiraled out of control. I don't know what happened where maybe there just weren't any tournaments or whatever, but like, yeah, like tricks with oath i i never actually like played that matchup against miracle grow i don't know how much it like actually fixed the matchup uh there are also like some oath reanimator decks that came out of japan that i never really got to play with but i mean i i played both oath and reanimator so i don't know like Mm -hmm. i feel like there's not really a good answer for this question uh from my side but yeah just like that that format i wish i would have been able to play more of so your response comes from more of a love of just the whole overarching package of that format than any one particular deck that you missed out on. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I played the the hell out of that format. I, I played a lot. And I was actually talking to someone in Cleveland who started preaching the the merits of middle school to me, you know, like old school. This is middle school. Okay. This, yeah. Tell and me it, about it. No, it's it's just got like a, a lot of the same cards. It's basically like that extended format, but with no dual lands. Okay. So I I'm less about it because of no duels. I mean, if you want to just sell me on extended 2002, like I will I will build every deck in the format. I would ha- be happy to. There's definitely some hunger for magic the way it used to be, right? Like people are wanting to participate and play that. Maybe it's. And absence makes the heart grow fonder thing. And it's not as rosy as we make it out to be. Uh, but people are thirsty to play those kind of formats right now. Oh, man. Like, th- there were so many cards that were just so bad. And then there was right. just busted stuff like Illusions of Grandeur Donate. Meanwhile, you're trying to beat down people with River Boa, which is just complete garbage yeah. by today's standards. Yeah, right? it's a crazy juxtaposition of like Jackal Pup and Tricks. Right? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Just so weird. So... It is weird to me that people are like, ban Faithless Looting. It's like, well, everything's busted. So, like, what do you want? You know, you ban this one card, then the next busted thing's going to be there. Whereas this format is just like, oh, man, it's so good. But you could play like Demonic Consultation. 
in, yeah. in a lot of these extended formats, right? And then they eventually got rid of it. But no, it's cool. I, I hope we find some kind of like tournament access to something that stops at some point. Like it's some middle school, old school type thing and a reasonable tournament series. I guess it has to be like post reserve list though. So you can make card availability work, but I don't know if that's ever something that's actually going to come to fruition, but nostalgia is a powerful thing. You look at like world of Warcraft classic that's coming out, which is just like world of Warcraft as it used to be way back in the day. Ostensibly all the things that have happened in the interim are improvements. And yet people are hungry for it the way it used to be <laughs> just based on their old experience. So yeah, that's why we'll ever see magic like that. Yeah. But uh, so, so the reason I, thought this question was super interesting is my first response, uh, which immediately popped in my head. I remember in like 2011 ish, maybe even 2010, I was just starting to play legacy and I wasn't super high on my abilities in the format. I tended to play very linear stuff. Like I definitely played some Belcher. I played things like zoo. I would play dredge, but there was one deck that always caught my eye. And I was always like, I wish I could play this deck but I'm way too stupid for it. Do you want to guess what deck it was? I think you might nail it. What the hell? Are you going to say like High Tide or something? No. Doomsday. Oh, yeah. I always, Dude. always wanted to play Doomsday. And I'm just like, I am too stupid. I cannot figure this deck out. And I passed on it. I, I don't think I have ever played a match with Doomsday. And what was even the kill condition in Doomsday back in that era? Was it like Sheldock Isle Emrakul? We're not there yet, right? We're still doing like Storm stuff, maybe. Uh, Sheldock Emrakul was one. I actually played Doomsday in at least one open and maybe two. And I was definitely way too stupid to play it. But at least I found that out firsthand. I think there is a camera match of me against Bing Luke where I just, I resolve Doomsday and I still have to like jump through some hoops to kind of kill him. And I think he punted, like maybe I was drawing dead, he punted and then I repunted. So it was <laughs> nice. definitely a, a shell dock into Emrakul and then playing Cloud of Fairies to untap like your shell dock and the thing and casting Emrakul and attacking them. That was, that was right. one of them. And then I think there was uh, an ill-gotten gains loop like ill-gotten gains tendrils if they weren't playing counter spells or you duress all their stuff or whatever. Right. But you had to set up like, there are so many permutations of it, right? And you need to do everything in exactly the right order to play around everything your opponent possibly had, or you just lost. That was it. You cast Doomsday and you had to do everything perfectly or you lost. And I was so intimidated by it. I never picked up the deck and I, d I just had like this huge amount of envy for people who played Doomsday well. And there was a point where Doomsday was like a very good legacy deck, I think. It was probably brief. I don't think it had a really long run. But there was a chance that it might have just been like better than a lot of the other stuff you could have been doing in the format for a while. Yeah. And I never took the dive. So maybe it, I'll make it my mission to revive Legacy Doomsday. Maybe I can find a way to make it work again. Dude, this might have been the deck that broke me, actually. Because this, this was when I was just like, oh, yeah, I can play, you know, whatever I want. I'll just crush people, right? And right. Try, trying to resolve Doomsday Piles might have been the thing that made it so, like, later on, you know, when Birthing Pod's the best deck, I'm just like, I can't do it. <laughs> You're still burying the scars from your experience with Doomsday to this day. It's possible. Maybe it's good I avoided it then. Maybe I'd be a shell of myself if I had ever actually taken the leap and played Doomsday in a tournament, and it's for the best that I never registered it in a tournament. I can't think of a single deck that made me feel as stupid. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I think Doomsday, I, I think it broke me. 
And you weren't alone. Uh, I was so broken by it, I wouldn't even touch it. So that is definitely my answer, Liam. I will maybe redevote myself to learning Doomsday, although it'll probably still have the same effect at this stage in my magic career. And I'll just be like, yep, big idiot. Always knew it. Should have never touched this deck. <laughs> I mean, there, there are like lab maniac kills now. Yeah, maybe it's cleaner. Maybe it's cleaner these days. God, it was, it was so much easier in like vintage having Gush. Right. Well, Gush makes a lot of things easier, in fairness. Yeah, Gush is busted. That card's so stupid. That's the card people should be outraged about. If people are playing Pauper now, why aren't they as outraged about Gush? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't know. I guess it didn't dominate the MCQ, so whatever. I think that was a very small look into the format. But whatever, we're not here to talk Pauper. And now I'll have people yelling at me for that as well. So <laughs> I've, I've outraged everyone. We should probably close the show, and I should stop getting people mad for the week. Yeah, sign us out, man. Let's go. That's game. Good luck.